Hi everybody and welcome to Visible and Visuals. Um, today the topic will actually be a little bit different from our usual uh, representation and inclusion uh, theme. It's going to be about uh, Brexit, which obviously isn't something that we all want to talk about, but is something important and is happening rather imminently. Um, and this was actually a panel that Rita wanted to do. So um, Rita, why, why did you think it was important that we should have this panel? Well, um, if our listeners don't know, I am an immigrant myself. I come from Portugal. I've been in the UK for 13 years now. I did my master's here and I started working here. And then in 2016, when Brexit happened, it took a long time for me to to find out what what would happen to me, what would happen to anyone who is an immigrant here. And um, it was very detrimental for my mental health. Uh, it took a long time for me to get it sorted. And when I did, when I finally got it sorted and I got my settled status, which provides me the right to live, work, and have permanent residency in the UK and um, use the NHS and all the rights that I had before, I've kept them. And that is great. But then I kind of looked around and I just couldn't really find a lot of information about anything else. I got to the conclusion that I'm the only person, well, we are the only persons actually know what's going to happen to us with Brexit. And I thought, well, how is this going to affect the industry that I'm working on? I did a bit of research and as much as I found some information out, most of it we still don't know, but I would, I thought that I would like to listen from people from all corners of the industry and see what their, what their experience has been so far so that they could put that on the table and we can share a bit of information and hopefully just try and figure out where we are and where we're going to. So that was basically why. Yeah, this was really difficult to find anything digestible. If you're a creative person, you're looking for answers, I think. Um, and hopefully our panel will be able to do that. So um, we have Joseph Wallace, who is an independent stop motion filmmaker, um, Rita's on the panel. Um, Rebecca Warner-Perry, who is a, a line manager for Illuminated Films. Tom Box, who is the co-founder of Blue Zoo. And uh, Steve Henderson, who is the creative director of uh, Manchester Animation Festival and Electra. Um, so we've got quite a good panel in terms of, you know, people from different sectors. Um, and these were people that you were interested in hearing from because you felt like, you know, they, they could offer maybe stuff, a perspective we weren't really hearing. Well, yes, I have the perspective only of a freelance stop motion animator. I don't, I don't work in a production role. I don't work, I don't hire people. I don't, I don't plan the, 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 the future of my company. I don't, I don't plan a festival. I, I'm not a stop motion director that works here and in Europe, and all of those were, the, were some of the points of view that I thought it were well important for us to to listen from, just to just to get a few ideas across. And um, 
get the information out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you for organising this one and having, you know, coming up with the idea to do it. I think it, people find it really useful and hopefully a lot of younger people who are listening will kind of get a better idea of where we're headed. Um, obviously, uh, <coughs> excuse me, obviously there's only so much we know, but um, yes. we'll pass on what we do know. So. Well, thank you for doing the panel, for accepting my, my input. <laughs> Hello, my name is Rita Sampaio. I'm a stop motion freelance animator. I hail from the UK, but I am originally from Portugal. I've been in the UK for 13 years now, and I have worked for companies like Adman or Animortal and both features and series. And I'll be starting soon on a new series uh, of stop motion uh, YouTube content for Wild Brain uh, Spark Studios in London. Hi, I'm Rebecca. I'm a line producer at Illuminated Films. I'm currently working on Dave's Bud series two. I've also worked on Little Princess, Simon's Cat and the Barber Christmas campaign for 2019. Hi, I'm Steve Henderson. I'm the director of Manchester Animation Festival. Uh, we return this November 15th through to the 30th, 100% online. Uh, I'm also the uh, editor and co-owner of squiggly.com um, and I uh, teach as well. Hi, my name is Joseph Wallace. I'm an animation director based here in the UK and I studied in the UK and Europe and do a lot of work uh, with other creators companies on the continent. Hi, my name is Tom Box. I'm co-founder of Blue Zoo Animation, which is now 20 years old and uh, now one of the biggest animation studios in the UK doing 2D and 3D animation, making shows like The Adventures of Paddington. And I think now we've got, I think, staff spread around about 14 countries because everyone's remote. Um, as a few side jobs, I'm uh, a chair of the Screen Skills Animation Skills Council and uh, chair of the Council of Manchester animation festival that Steve runs. Um, so I just want to add in before we begin that um, we are recording this on the 18th of October um, and only two days ago the Prime Minister has announced that we should be preparing ourselves to leave without a deal um, which means that obviously what we're talking about now is very um, might not be relevant in a week or two we're not sure but um, hopefully it will be helpful to people listening because um, we're hoping to share sort of opinions and perspectives that aren't usually shared on this topic. Um, so we're only going to be able to deal, talk about what we know. Could change at any minute, who knows. But, um, so uh, for the first question, I wanted to ask you um, about your work prospects uh, since the referendum in 2016. Um, has Brexit had any notable influence on your creative or production process? Yeah. We'd like to start. Rita? <laughs> okay, so basically, I haven't said this yet. I am Portuguese, you might notice by the accent. Uh, I've been in the UK for 13 years. I've been working in animation for about 10, 11. And um, the major change that I've had come across is an admin change. Basically, I've, um, well, I don't know if projects have gone forward or bad because of Brexit. I don't have any 
way of finding that out. But the change in terms of what I have to do is, well, I've had to um, apply for the settlement scheme. And luckily for me, uh, it was swift when I was able to do it. Um, the response came in a couple of weeks. It was not an easy couple of weeks, but it, they eventually got the response. I've got settled status. So anytime that I want to um, apply for a job, I will have to tell my employer that I have got settled status. Now, the onus of that is on me, as it would be uh, if I am renting a house or doing anything of that sort of thing you know uh, even going to the nhs probably um and that all of the responsibility of that resides on me so what then happens is that they might want to verify that and then i have to give them a code because it's a, a digitized uh form uh there's no physical evidence of, of of this form so i have to share a code with them so it's a bit of a faff. So obviously I, I haven't had any problems and, you know, the industry where I move with stop motion is small enough that people kind of know each other a little bit, but I can imagine that there might be some employers somewhere that just will not go, won't, if they have a lot of, of, of applications, uh, you know, if you have to go through an, a couple of extra steps to employ someone, they might not be, they're as comfortable as not going through them. So, you know, you just never know. <laughs> it's a horrible thing to think, isn't it? Uh, we were promised less red tape and then all of a sudden we've got lots more processes, as you say, and if that does act as a barrier, then that's that's quite a big thing. I don't, uh, obviously, uh, from the point of view of an animation festival, that's not a position that we would find ourselves in um in terms of employment but i don't know how that would affect everyone else i think from a perspective of running an animation studio it's from 2016 we've we've kind of we've grown and we've we've had more work but that's uh we i think we're quite cocooned from the biggest impacts of brexit which are much more about physical goods where where you're 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 drowning in red tape and extra bureaucracy that we'll have with all the the, the movement of uh, physical goods. Whereas we we you know it's effectively a digital service. It's it's making um, content that then, that's then distributed um, electronically to you know via YouTube or or Netflix or whoever. So it doesn't have as as many kind of burdens from that. So I think from from that point of view of all the things that brexit looks like it will inflict on the the uk uh i think animation will probably dodge a lot of the the, the heaviest um parts of that 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 red tape and bureaucracy which is you know which we're, we're very fortunate um but then obviously we'll we'll be affected huge in other areas like the the uh, the immigration side of things when we are a very um european industry and you know relying on on that that freedom of movement to uh to to um to get the best artists available yeah i think that's one thing that worries me a lot as well and, and maybe kind of bigger productions can or will be able to afford to kind of mitigate that red tape and that extra administration costs but i know 
you know, so many of the projects I've done, I've employed European talent who've, you know, sometimes it's commercial job and there's like two weeks turnaround and I'll be kind of calling people up and flying them over. And actually, if there's suddenly all this extra admin to go through, uh, it could make, you know, sort of lower budget productions really struggle with that, that kind of, you know, that melting pot that we have within Europe uh, of talent crossing over, being able mm. to go, you know, and direct stuff elsewhere on the, on the continent or, or, or talent coming over here as well. So, um, and I don't know at the moment really what the, the sort of, yeah, hard and fast rules are around that. I just know that with the production that I'm doing at the moment, we were sort of struck by a mixture of COVID and Brexit for the shoot I was supposed to be doing in Prague. Cause I was just, I was supposed to go out there and there were lots of restrictions in place because of COVID, but then actually on the website, on the Czech government website, it was saying, you know, if you're, if you're an EU citizen, you can come in, you've got quarantine and everything, but it was like, not English people at the bottom. Uh, so it's already a sort of, um, yeah, I don't know. I think you're already seeing that, that uh, whether it's a reaction to, or it's a hesitation around, or people are just avoiding the complication of, England and the UK right now because so little is kind of set in stone it feels like actually a lot of the European countries are kind of then putting into place their own legislation whether that's temporary or whether that'll end up being long term but it's um yeah it's definitely a change. Yeah I'm currently working on a Christmas campaign I probably can't say what it actually is but um we they, they always make so many changes last minute. So I need crew instantly. I'll be in putting a job advert out in the morning or contacting people that I know in the morning and they're starting in the afternoon. I'm, and most of them, because it, it's a TV paint project, which is a French software, mm. most of them are in France or sometimes Germany. There are some people in the UK too, but not all. And I don't think we'd be able to get it done if I had to then try and get visas for people on the same day and go through all this red tape, it's going to become so much more difficult. Mm. That's one of the questions I was going to ask off the back of um, what Rita mentioned about settled status, because I'm not actually sure um, what the process is for people who haven't been living in the UK but are EU citizens at the moment. Does anyone sort of have any idea or know what the process will be for people who want to work on a UK production, but are based in the EU um, after Brexit? I think I've, you'll... Sorry. Uh, go on, go on, Rita. <laughs> I think there's... Um, I think there's a, a three... For short, short projects, I think that might be a window where you can come in and do short bit of work, as it there will be for, um, the, for the EU. But after that, I think it's a visa and it's going to be a points-based visa, visa. And I think what they're trying to do is to get those points based on um, not just the money, but actually the abilities of the person and trying to reach you know, the government and trying to make them understand that creative industries are not measured just by the money that the person earns and uh so yeah as i know there's work being done in that direction but at the moment i'm not particularly sure if those three months window that you might have is just for people from the uk going to europe for schengen spaces or if it's reciprocal if people coming from the eu can do the same here 
So I'll, I'll leave it to people who might know a bit better. From, from my understanding, um, after, uh, after Brexit finally properly happens, however you want to call it, from January uh, 2021, the, the ultimately the rest of outside of the UK will all be treated the same, from what I understand. So the only way you'll be able to come into the UK to work is with effectively with a tier two visa, which costs uh, hundreds of pounds per year, plus takes about eight weeks to be processed. So I think that have a, a huge knock on effect to the the more the commercials industry, where you know where we last year we do a bit of commercials, but most of what we do is in long form, where we can we have a bit longer to plan these things, um, which which doesn't which still makes it tricky because I think the costs will will clock up quite heavily on that, especially if you bring on more of a senior person who. Uh, brings a family with them that they have to then pay the health immigration surcharge for every single person they bring with them so i think it has worked out that if you have someone uh say bring a family of five people across over over i think it was five years that cost about 20 grand in in various different fees so it's a considerable amount and someone's going to pay for that whether the employer passes it on to the artist or the employer pays for it it's 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 all from the same place at the end of the day so i think there's uh there'll be big changes there. And I wonder how much um, in light of everyone remote working at the moment, it's kind of for our studio, it's kind of kicked that can down the road a bit because everyone is work. I think we've, we've gone from working in kind of one country to working across 14 or so countries now. So everyone is working remotely and a lot of Europeans have gone back to their home countries to, to work whilst this is happening. So, uh, and some of them have switched to, to freelance because now we've got, you know, 14 different tax laws to deal with in terms of how we're paying people. So it has created loads of different problems. Um, but uh, I think that from that point of view, it was kind of, it'll push push it down the road because obviously if, you're got, if you can't get someone, if you need someone instantly and there's an eight-week visa uh, application process, you'll probably hire them remote whilst that happens. So I think we'll see a lot more remote working um, now people have got more acclimatized to it because of COVID. And then I think Brexit will compound that to force it to continue to happen just because of the, the costs and, um, and the times it takes to, to, to process the visa and fill, fill all the applications out as well. Yeah, mm. eight weeks is a really long time. And also £20,000. This is animation. We're not making big, glossy Hollywood films. We don't make lots of money. It, that usually comes from merchandise and not the show itself. So if it was going to cost us an extra £20,000 to employ someone, I just don't think we would be able to afford it. And it's such a shame because we're losing so much good talent. Mm. Yeah. And in terms um, of those visa costs, I'm guessing there hasn't been any kind of... Um, uh, any kind of indication of support from the government uh, with uh, trying to do that, even if it's from a non hiring people from a non EU country, because I know quite early on they were talking about doing sort of immigration deals with India. Um, but has has anyone sort of heard of any kind of support in that regard for getting visas and getting people in for longer term projects? We they, 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 everything's everything's quiet isn't it you know they can't they're, they're supposed to playing the cards close to the chest you know for when they go in for negotiations and all this sort of stuff that everyone's just left hung out to dry there's no kind of information coming from anywhere is there and that's the that's that's been the problem throughout brexit i would say 
um, for, as a as a kind of bystander and as somebody in the exhibition industry is, is is that sort of the fact that we don't know where we're heading. We just seem to be presented with slogans and uh, and, and nothing of any real substance. Um, it, it's it's ridiculous. I don't think we'll have an answer for that until Brexit actually happens. Then we'll just have to like it or lump it. And that there'll was... probably be big waiting lists as well. As soon yeah. as as soon as that opens up, then everyone's going to be trying to get their tier two visas for whatever pro- production is going to happen. And it's just, yeah, it's just going to drag on and on and on probably. But that was basically why I wanted to kind of do this podcast because of everyone here, I'm the only person who actually knows what the situation is. I'm the only one. And because it has been, it was a hiring process to get there. But I looked around and I was like, I don't think the industry is very much aware of what's going on. Wouldn't be possible to get some people together and share information just to, with us and with some other people that might be hearing us because there's there's just not enough disclosure. (laughs) We know what's been taken away. I think that's the that that's the thing. I mean, uh, from a, um, I, I, I'm an educator as well. I, I, I teach um, at a university, um, and you know what's going to happen with Erasmus students in the future. That's a that's a, a thing. And, and Erasmus students are amazing because it gives our students the opportunity to go to uh, different countries and learn there. But it also gives us and and our students at home an opportunity to. Uh, learn from those students that come from from other countries and there's always an an incredible energy that comes from uh, those students that come to 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 learn over here because they're not just learning uh, on the course they're learning about you know our culture and they're sharing their culture and that's such a precious and wonderful thing Uh, who knows whether we'll have that in the future but obviously like I say we know what's been taken away um, from sort of film exhibition side of things um a lot of film festivals. Uh, I don't know how many animation festivals, certainly not Manchester Animation Festival, but I know a lot of film festivals rely on media funding. Um, uh, And um, it's not something that we particularly uh, rely on at Manchester Animation Festival because they do insist on 70% of the film being from, uh, uh, from other countries that are involved in, in media. Uh, But, yeah, that's another thing that's been taken away, isn't it, uh, from us, is just, yeah. I, I fear for the film film exhibition sector when something as fundamental as that has been taken away. We're lucky at Manchester Animation Festival because we rely on the British Film Institute who, uh, who fund us generously and we're really happy f- to have that. Um, and fingers crossed there's going to be no kind of effects on the, the BFI Brexit side of things. Um, although there's a, there's a very in-depth report that's been published on that. Yeah, I think that's, that's really like what both you and Rita have said is really interesting because I, in an attempt to prep for this panel, I was watching the whole um, CMC Brexit talk from October last year, so 2019. And everything they were saying was pretty much exactly what everyone's saying now. Nobody knew what was happening. Um, they had somebody, a civil servant from um, uh, DCMS, trying to sort of explain all the different outcomes to everybody. But of course, he was just guessing. He didn't know. But one thing they were hoping on was that we were going to be part of the Creative Europe 
fund, which has now, I think from December this year, we're no longer going to have access mm -hmm. to that. So, you know, having quite a few of you seem to be um, accessing funds from that up until this point. Um, how have you prepared yourself to look for funding from other sources? Well, we, um, Illuminated is a small independent studio and we do rely on that media funding for our development work. When the, I th uh, was it the, when the, the YAC fund, the Young Audiences Content Fund was announced, we thought, oh, that's, that's amazing. I'm, I'm hopefully that will be able to fill the funding gap that media is going to, well, that when we leave um, the EU is going to be left by, by that. But it, it doesn't. Um, so we have got them some of that YAC funding for one of our projects, but you have to pay the money back if it doesn't go on um, a free to access broadcaster. So that not including the BBC. So that would have to be, ITV or Channel 4 or um, Channel 5. Now, this is a preschool project and Channel 5 are pretty much uh, totally, their schedules are pretty full for the next five years. They're not really taking on much new content. ITV don't do preschool and Channel 4 don't even really do children's. So there's nowhere to go, really. We, do, we don't, we're kind of stuck and... The media funding was in, was incredible for that because they match fund and you don't have to pay it back. They don't mind where where the show goes. They don't even mind if it doesn't get made. Just that you have actually done the development work and employed people in the EU with that money. I think there there was various noises about the the UK government looking to replace the the EU media fund. I, I don't know where that is because I think every every kind of industry is looking for the similar replacement kind of funding for the amount of stuff the EU did did fund uh, all across the UK. So who knows, especially with uh, the impact of COVID as well, how how stretched the finances are. I think there'll be that double whammy there that maybe what the government was promising beforehand now just isn't financially viable. So I think that's a huge concern because like yeah, we we've used the the uh, media funding before. Um, creative Europe funding to, to get some of our shows off the ground and it's been invaluable to you know to get help make a pilot episode that you can then take to uh, Cartoon Forum for example and then that's been the route for a few of our shows so I, I think it you know it could be devastating that, it, that 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 commonly used pathway to get in production and that's led to the success of a lot of animation studios will be will be cut off so I think we'll just have to you know cross our fingers that um, the, the government does try and do whatever it can to 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 replace that because the one thing i think that we have going is the government does know how important the creative industry is from a business sense even though if it, it you know however it thinks it is from a cultural sense uh, but from a business sense it contributes such a lot to the uk economy um a lot of it that is down to the tax relief as well where it actually kind of obviously adds more to the economy than it costs the treasury to do it otherwise they, they wouldn't do it um so I think that the government is acutely aware of of how important it is to keep the the creative industries alive in the UK. But I will be, yeah, I think we'll have to wait and see what shape that forms. But yeah, even but even if that takes a year for them to work out, how many shows are not going to be made? We you need that funding to make the pilot because we don't 
we don't have lots of money rolling about to be able to invest into new shows. We we need the funding really to be able to do that. It's 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 such a shame because you you need a you if we're going to invest our our own money, we need a guarantee that it's going to get picked up i guess but there's never any guarantee there's never any guarantee that the broadcaster is going to have a spot so we can't afford to just i don't know um spend that money i guess without any any kind of guarantees ourselves to um i'm, I'm obviously i'm aware it's a, it's a different sector obviously but for, for the film exhibition sector uh, as well if we're not part of if we're not part of media, um, as I said before, media insists on 70% of the films that are shown at film and animation festivals coming from non-national countries that participate into the scheme. Uh, what that means is that obviously uh, if, if you're, you're funded by media, you have to ensure that you are showing films that are part of that. Now, Manchester Animation Festival, we don't do that. We like to be, uh, myself and the festival programmer, uh, Jen Hall likes to be a bit more independent with our programming so we can show films from around the world. However, uh, what that what that would mean is that we're, if we're not part of media funding, then we're not, the UK is not part of those 70% of films that does get shown at festivals that are funded by media. So from a cultural point of view, our short films are not getting out there, which which is a danger because, you know, we have an incredible uh, culture of short filmmaking um, short film and animation ma uh, making uh, that promotes companies, it promotes auteurs, it promotes individuals. And if we're not being shown around the world, then we're not known around the world. And, we yeah, and I think that's a sad thing as well, when you consider that actually now in the last sort of two or three years, actually the funding scene for independent animation in the UK has just kind of turned the corner um, and there's now, you know, there's the BFI network funds where people who've sort of just graduated or are making their first shorts can sort of cut their teeth and make a, uh, you know, make an independent short. And then there's the, the new uh, BFI animation fund for, uh, you know, for more ambitious, larger projects. And if you look back to, you know, the 80s, uh, early 90s, it was UK films that would pick up you know, all those awards. When you think about Joanna Quinn and Barry Purvis, all those kind of people who were sort of making work. Um, and it's sort of, yeah, it's almost like, oh God, we could get back to that point now where as well as, you know, big studios, the commercial sort of side of things, we have the children's animation in the UK, which has kept going because it has, you know, it has more of a sort of commercial life to it. Actually, we could have this really strong independent short scene rebirthing in a way but then if if suddenly filmmakers can't travel to festivals and they can't have their films shown elsewhere and we can't have that kind of exchange that yeah like you say steve that kind of cultural exchange then it sort of just puts a wall really uh around the uk and that's for me that's one of the saddest things it does feel like such a regressive sort of act in general with brexit that it's it's so much about yeah about borders about sort of uh shutting down rather than opening up uh and and yeah like you say i think we've learned more about what won't be happening than what will be happening if, if i might just sort of use the opportunity to to put the, the alliance of british animation exhibitors which um manchester animation festival is a is a co-founder of um Animation and film festivals around the UK have got together to create this alliance, uh, which we hope to be able to promote um, British 
um, you know, short film, sorry, short animation, um, you know, around the world. Um, it just seems like now's a, it's needed more than ever uh, for for exactly for exactly those reasons. Yeah, I think that's um, that's really great to hear because I think like uh, for for me coming from like the idea of kids TV and I've always been sort of more interested in sort of um, development and things like that. And, you know, I think there's this failure to recognize how intertwined even kids TV can be to the short film, um, you know, side of British animation, but actually a lot of ideas get developed off the back of short films. And I think how important, you know, with Rebecca saying about how, when we have access to creative media funding and we could develop it, but then it didn't go anywhere, that would still obviously be of a great benefit to British animation generally, because the kind of pipelines that a studio might like learn from that experience, from that funding, the kind of um, stuff they've got on their showreel, it might lead to something else that might not necessarily be a series. It might end up being a short film or a feature film. It has so many repercussions for the creative side, never mind the sort of financial side of what we bring in to the UK economy. It's it's quite concerning to hear that. Um, still, we're very unsure about what we're going to get and what kind of support we're going to get, even though we contribute so much. Um, but have has anyone sort of started to look for funding outside of the UK, uh, the EU? Um. No, we we haven't really. We 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 yeah, we've been very high, reliant on the the EU funding before, but we're we're just looking at seeing how we can see if we can self fund it, uh, that development ourselves, or um, collaborate with with others to do more of the like the, the kind of more of a co pro style uh, development, and looking to see how we can create our own uh, relationships and things like that. So it's um, uh, so. Uh, outside of the the funding that's available, like the Yak funding and stuff, at the moment we haven't haven't discovered any magical pots of money, unfortunately. I know from the short film point of view, there's been a couple of collaborations now with the NFB, with National Film Board of Canada, which is kind of an unheard of thing in the past because often they were you know sort of solely supporting Canadian filmmakers, and obviously they've had like a very rich history of you know artistic shorts through that through that scheme but um i think one of lizzie hobbs's latest film was uh yeah co-production with with nfb um and uh i mean obviously it's like commonplace on the continent to do co-productions because even an animated short i mean you know you look at budgets in france and, and a five minute short will be like 100 150 you know thousand euros um and they're much then kind of much better resource but there are a lot of co-productions going on and um just because of yeah it, it's it's kind of less risk you know for kind of two or three companies to go in on that to support that film and then there's more people to like what steve's talking about you know promote it and get it out there to festivals and things um i don't know i mean like i said the short i'm doing at the moment is a co-production i don't know how easy that's going to be in the future um Again, I think from yeah, from my point of view, it's an unknown. And the producers I'm working with at the moment were saying they don't know really. Yeah, moving forward with the UK, how possible that's going to be. Um, but I know in the states, you know, there's very little cultural uh, money for you know whether it's 
shorts or uh, or sort of indie features. So that's not a place that you would sort of traditionally go knocking on the door for co-production. Um, but obviously, you know, there's there's a lot happening with sort of Asian markets as well. Um, I don't know from the short po- short film point of view how. Uh, accessible that that will be but maybe yeah like Tom's saying with this remote working that's kind of springing up now and people seeing how possible it is to direct via zoom that we might see yeah co-productions happening in in different places in less likely places or places that haven't necessarily been sort of part of that historical collaboration map in the past Well, not funding per se, but what I've noticed in my little corner of the industry is there have been a lot more partnerships from companies that do, you know, produce content. Partnerships with EU, uh, e- not EU, US companies or streaming companies. And um, that has been how most of you know, the work has been funded in the last couple of years. And um, I know Clothcare have have had money from Chinese markets. Um, But, yeah, it seems like there's quite a lot of, again, going back to kids' TV at least, there seems to be a lot of productions coming in from the US at the moment, and that seems to be shifting the way we make stuff as well. The pipelines seem to be getting more, almost more Americanized. when I started working in animation 10 years ago, um, it was a very like sort of um, British uh, free and easy kind of like, we'll get it done kind of attitude. And now everything seems much more regimented and um, people want to keep track of what everyone's doing and things like that. And, you know, for, for someone like me who doesn't work particularly well under that kind of pipeline, um, I just wonder, do you think that's going to have quite a big impact on what British animation looks like in the future? Are we going to see kind of more of this kind of polished US style series or, you know, how do you think it will affect us stylistically? Well, the software changes, doesn't it? So the US um, productions usually use Toon Boom and predominantly for, I know for most preschool animation in the UK, we use Cell Action, which is really cut out. Um, more puppets rather than really smooth and sleek and I think there's a real charm about the cutout animation I don't know if any of you have seen Dave Spud but if that was done in Toon Boom and it was all squash and stretch I just think it would really lose some of its charm Mm Um, so I I do I do think there there will be a change definitely because um, they're, they're, like Tanya says, the pipelines are quite solid and quite firm and you have to work in the way that they want you to. You couldn't say, oh, I actually want to use this software. You have to use their software. Yeah, I mean, like thinking back to things like, I know this is a very 2D kind of perspective on things, but even thinking about things like Peppa Pig, which is obviously a selection series, it's that kind of like low, lower budget kind of innovative thinking that you need to approach what, what, you know, you have to look at your budget and go, well, what can we use and how can we make the most of it? And I think from that, like a lot of British animation really excels. So it's, it's going to be quite interesting to see what happens, even if we get a lot of money from, say, the US or Netflix or something, how that then 
changes the identity of British animation. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that's happening is that the the governments are slowly catching up with that, where the technology. Uh, the sector behind that obviously moves very quickly and then netflix is relatively in a time frame things come from nowhere and is is funding a huge amount of animation uh i think they announced there's going to be six features a year i think mm-hmm. um that different animation studios are going to be making um but part of that now government's saying uh that netflix have to make a certain amount of content within each country so it can't just all be dictated to dictated from from america so i think there, there is uh, government intervention there to make sure that that slope doesn't go too far in terms of um, kind of Americanizing all the, the the TV culture that we that we see. I think also I think I mean, in our studio we use Toon Boom, um, and I think that it is very similar. You can do the same kind of animation um, as as you can in um, cell action. So. We, we do hinge kind of cut out shows in that. So I, I don't know. I think it's more about how people use the software in terms of how much it's dictated. But I certainly agree with the fact that when you're, when you've got lower budgets, you're, you're forced to, to really kind of like make a show that, that works and you're forced to focus on making really kind of amazing content, which, uh, which is entertaining rather than having this kind of, uh, really high budget slick kind of animation so I think there's various kind of levers there and hopefully they'll they'll balance out but I think it's there's there's so much I mean if it used to be a few years ago most of our stuff was with the BBC doing CBB stuff but now um, most of our probably about 80% of the shows we're currently making is funded from um, the streamers and uh, US networks so these uh, so um, I hope that um, the BBC does CBBS continues to to thrive, but from the thing we from the balance of of work we've seen, it's certainly uh, the amount of CBBS work we've been doing has gone gone down a bit. Um, but maybe they're doing you know they're they're doing plenty of content, but we just hope that the government does kind of really recognises how valuable the BBC is in terms of that really championing British culture. Uh, fingers crossed. Well, as uh, sorry, as, as the only foreigner here who came here to actually work in the industry, I have to say that the you know the UK has a very distinct you know footprint of animation, and I don't think that's going to change in any time soon. You know, it's it's I still think it's the biggest hub of animation in the whole of Europe, and that's why professionals want to come here. That's that's why we want to you know we want to experience what it is to work in those shows. We want to experience how it is to work in those pipelines because there is a don't don't get me wrong. There is animation in Portugal, and I've worked there before, and I've worked there three years ago. I was I was working on a short film. I was animating a short film, and people do really good work there. But it's different in the sense that it's not sustained work. You, you have one short here, one short there. Now there's actually a feature film at the moment happening in pre-production. Um, but, you know, it's very hard to make a living just in animation. In my case, I was, I was working as a model maker and an animator. And I wanted to be just an animator. I didn't want to be a model maker as much as people kept me employing me on that, which was quite annoying. Uh, so I just went to the place where I knew that, you know, I would be able to hopefully make a living out of it. 
And, you know, that's my story. And also, you know, inspired by all the, you know, the, the golden age of Channel 4 <laughs> animation that, you know, came out of, of, of the UK back then. I could have gone to France, you know, I speak a little bit better English than French, but it would have been possible. And France has a beautiful history also of, of short films and animation. But I chose the UK for some reason. And the reason is I do like the animation that is done here. It's got a beautiful balance. You know, Portugal, it's poetic. Europe is, is a, there's a lot more poetry going on. Here, there's a little bit more of a balance of not just the poetic, but sustained stories to the, to the point and, and a little bit more humor to it. And that was what captivated me. So, you know, it won't, I don't think it will change that much. And that's coming from a foreigner. That's really it's reassuring really to hear that um, that at least we, we we were viewed at that from that point of view, or perhaps we could still be in future because I think that's going to be really important for us. And it's what's kind of from a personal point of view, what's brought me down more than anything about this whole Brexit thing is when I've gone uh, to to Portugal, to uh, Germany, to France, uh, uh, to all these places to deliver like academic papers. It's always the question. It's oh, we're always the butt of the joke. We're always um, uh, there's there's always some sort of I have to address it. You know, it's the elephant in the room. It's you know I, I have to to make to make light of it, or or I have to answer the questions that I have no answers for. Um, but it's always you know it's always good to remind people that ninety six percent of the creative industries uh, were in favour of remaining in the UK. That's always a statistic that I like to lean on and go. We're not. You know, we're not all, uh, uh, you know, on the same kind of, um, we're not all on the same bus, whatever slogan's written down the side of it. Um, so, yeah, it is, I hope, I hope that we can continue to be that beacon that, that is attractive to people, but uh, fingers crossed there's something that will help with that £20,000 we spoke about earlier on to make it, you know, we might be attractive, but we need to make it easy for people to work over here as well. It's definitely true when I've been, I mean, not that, you know, there's been much traveling going on this year, but when I was at festivals last year or yeah, well, since 2016, there's people can't comprehend what's happened from the outside, you know, why it's, why it's happened, uh, why a country would, you know, shoot itself in the foot like that. I think especially as it's kind of unraveled and we've kind of realized just things falling apart, rights being, you know, uh, taken away, opportunities being lost. And it's interesting hearing you talk, Rita, because I suppose for me, it's like the opposite, having grown up in the UK and like loved Eastern European animation, French animation, all this kind of stuff and, and kind of I, I did this course called Animation uh, Sans Frontier, which was a, a sort of training course in the art and business of animation, taught at four different film schools in Europe. And so that whole training I went through was all about European co-production. It was kind of gearing up to create, you know, sort of organic relationships between creators in different countries. And we were learning about, you know, pitching and co-production and everything so that those yeah, those, those kind of friendships and relationships could then develop into studios collaborating in a really sort of, um, yeah, in a sort of organic and, and natural way. Um, and, it and yeah, a lot of the work I've done over the years has been in, in France and Hungary and Spain, Denmark, places like that, independent projects, you know, research projects, talking at festivals and things. Um, and then I think actually one of the, there's a feature film I've been kind of developing over the last few years and, 
the first kind of time that I felt, wow, this is this is one of the, the like an impact of Brexit suddenly being very present was being in conversations with a French studio and then saying, I don't think we can make this work with an English director to put in what would be, you know, millions of euros in France. Um, I don't, yeah, because, you know, because in, in the continent, so many of those funds are state funded, it's all tied up to the kind of, you know, to the national politics. And so putting huge amounts of money into something, uh, even if it was being made in France or, you know, part of it's being made in France for a co-production, having a UK director, they were kind of, you know, uh, even if there wasn't, say, sort of rules or legislation in place, it, there was a feeling of kind of, I don't think we could really make this work. Um, and that, yeah, like I said, that's one of the first sort of, uh, real life experiences of it so it is kind of yeah when it's not something you voted for when it's not something you agree with and yet to be penalized uh from the outside it is a really sad thing and it does feel yeah it feels frustrating to be uh yeah to, to sort of be then locked out of opportunities that have have always been a dream i suppose i suppose it's also worth uh, pointing out if we are obviously looking towards the future there as well is to that British animation is is where it is because of uh, our, our, our immigrants uh, because of our Im immigrant workforce I mean you think about the history of British animation Hallison Batchelor uh, uh, your one of your personal heroes uh, Ivor Wood uh, mm -hmm. uh, being being uh, French uh, uh, and so working with Serge Dano on uh, Magic Roundabout uh, Joseph, you know, so we owe so much and so many more people as well, obviously, who work, um, you know, up and down the kind of the, the scale of the production. We owe so much to to immigration for this country in from from our animation uh, point of view. Uh, and it's always worth worth remembering that as we go forward. Yeah, I think that's like, I'd echo what Joseph was saying. And I think as somebody who is um, from a mixed race background, um, I found Brexit actually a little bit scary for me um, just because it had so much like anti-immigration sentiment behind it. That was kind of the push and seeing how people were, you know, like the Windrush thing that came out, all this kind of stuff, you know, um, having a mother from the Commonwealth and how these kind of attitudes have just kind of been inflamed by this whole, you know, line of politics. Obviously it's been pushed, been pushing forward way before 2016. Um, you know, I remember the, the BNP when I was at uni and my university colleagues were telling me that they believed in the, what the BNP were telling them and things like that. And it's quite a frightening thing to see. And I think like, for me, I've always felt like, like Steve was saying, like a lot of British culture and creativity comes from the fact that we are quite an open and inclusive country. And I think the scary thing was this realisation that maybe that wasn't the case outside of my little animation bubble. It was, <laughs> there was a lot of um, sort of nasty kind of attitudes out there. And I guess, um, that leads me on to the next question, which is like obviously within a lot of other industries um, outside the creative industries, there's been a real push to hire a British workforce, keeping it like homegrown talent. Um, how sustainable do you think that is for uh, animation? It isn't. You get the best ideas from a diverse range of people. You can't just have all the same people from the same backgrounds in the same room and expect to get something creative. It doesn't work. We need all these people. It's really, I'm, it, I'm embarrassed. 
it's such a shame. We need this talent. We need all these incredible people with all this amazing culture to come here and everything then intertwines into magic. I think it's going to take that away or part, part of it. There are also some practical situations occurring. There was a point in time where there were three stop motion features happening at the same time in the UK. There was Chuck Steele, Night of the Trampires, there was Early Man, and there was Isle of Dogs. And you just can't crew three feature films with people just from the UK. That's not possible. There's not enough people. You know, you can have a lot of graduates as assistant animators. That's not the problem. It's the animators. It's the senior animators. It's the people who are going to actually carry on all of those sequences. You don't have enough people. Obviously, when there are not three, you know, three feature films occurring, then, you know, I think obviously that you should support bringing people in the industry, but that should be the norm. You know, um, companies are working directly with universities. Companies are actually, some of them, like Arman, are doing their own courses internally. They want to train people. And, you know, the thing is, isn't, forgive me if I'm wrong, I'm not absolutely sure about this. Doesn't the Arts Council, you know, give you support you to, to, to hire people from, from Britain, something like that in a production? I don't know. I think part of the Arts Council is actually funded by the EU. <laughs> so, I'm not sure From a production point of view, any production that uh, uses the, the UK tax reliefs, which is pretty much any film and any long-form animation production, um, with that, it stipulates that I think it's 80% of the work has to be made within the UK. Um, but unlike, say, the Canadian one, which means you have to, you have to use domestic, uh, start, domestic talent, in the production has to happen in the UK, but you can use um, EU nationals on that production, where in Canada you can't. Um, and that's, that's why and how I understand it works. So I don't know how that would change. Obviously, well, it will change in the fact that post-Brexit, you will be able to use international artists on your production and use that, the, use that tax relief on it, but they will have to be located in the UK. So in terms of how things may work with remote working, you couldn't run a production in the UK, claim the tax credit, and have every single person you know, remote working outside of the UK because then that wouldn't be eligible. So there is, there is various balances that have to happen in trying to mm -hmm. keep kind of bums on seats in the UK to otherwise all that money just flows out the UK and the whole point is to try and you know um to, to promote uh, a, a blossoming economy so I think there's that's something that you know we have to really kind of uh, make sure and I think that's from the original question that's the kind of that double edge the fact that we want to get that kind of cultural cultural mixture but I think that you know myself included as animation studios we've been a little bit uh kind of too uh it's been a little bit too easy just to get artists from europe when we've got a production rather than focusing on kind of developing our domestic talent so when things like this does happen we're suddenly cut short and go oh no we don't have enough people in the uk so i think it's in in that way it has forced us to really say okay we need to really help our domestic talent by doing more things like apprenticeships that are, that are now happening. And there is a huge amount of um, cultural diversity within the UK. So it's not to say that 
that as soon as you as soon as they they build that Brexit wall, that all cultures will suddenly just be British. I think with the amount of culture, you know, just in London alone, you you can still get that that uh, mixture. But I think it's about um, it, it has you know it is really going to force us to to focus on really kind of nurturing that that domestic homegrown talent, and that's something that we should have been doing uh, long ago. And I know that has been happening in various uh, ways, but it's 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 not been enough, and that's it's going to force us to to do that a lot more. And that's what I've been spending a lot of my time trying to do as well. Well, that starts at schools, doesn't it? I think that that has to start at schools, yeah. and it's something that we've done as Manchester Animation Festival. Uh, in previous years, uh, it's been very difficult to do it this year with COVID, but in previous years, we've had our schools programme. So we've gone into schools um, uh, and shown people that animation is not just about, you know, the, the people that hold the pencil and do the drawing. You don't have to be the world's best drawer to be an animator. It's about the production managers. It's about the technicians. It's about the engineers. It's about all these, you know, fantastic people that make animation the collaborative art form that it is. Uh, if you're an organised person, then you fit right in uh, in production management, you know. But likewise, if you're an artist, then you'll fit right well in, in, in elsewhere within the, the chain of production. So I think it, it has to start in schools. Uh, and we were surprised going through to, uh, um, you know, communities in Manchester um, that are... Uh, comprised of, um, you know, uh, largely African or, or, or Asian uh, diaspora people um, uh, who were unaware that the, these were career prospects. And, and that I think that's a problem with our school system. Our school system needs to value the arts and it needs to value uh, the, uh, and realise that animation is a viable future for, for a career choice for, for anyone from any background. And if we're going to use terms like homegrown talent we need to stick by that and realize that you know the uk is not just about you know as it is at the moment you know it's about encouraging people from different backgrounds to in, to, to embrace that for it's, it to be truly homegrown it's the parents as well where they see they see the arts as a very uh unsecure kind of future and not a not a proper job um, where you know there are plenty of people who have very successful careers in in our in our industry, and I think you know I think one of the things that we found that's especially the case um, in um, uh, some uh, ethnicities can have more of a cultural um, trend of favouring you know uh, traditional careers like doctors and accountants, which then has a double whammy effect where it's even harder to try and kind of get those kind of levels kind of balanced out a bit for a more inclusive and diverse industry. So it's, it's, it's very tricky, but I think you see, you're right. It's, it all comes down to the schools and the government really um, making sure that the arts is, is represented and respected and promoted as a, as a, a very fruitful career and doing yeah. something you can love to do. Well, maybe they should stop doing those adverts where they tell people that <laughs> they should go and work in science. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I was just going to just chime in there and say, obviously, from a, a we did mention this on a, a previous panel, I think as well, like it's, it's such a big issue in terms of getting people from different ethnic backgrounds into animation. Um, I'm always a bit reluctant to say like it's it's down to schools because I just feel like schools have got enough rubbish to deal with thanks to this government. But um, certainly a lot of this falls on us and people who create media content, because I think, you know, having talk, spoken to people like Bimpy from, you know, on previous panels who works in VFX and um, 
Mohammed Orica and stuff like that. It's it's it's. I think it's this absence of seeing people succeed in these roles as well, which causes a lot of people to kind of doubt whether or not they can succeed in it because they feel like even if they get their foot in the door, they're not going to progress. They're not going to be able to sustain a life um, within the industry. So it, it is obviously such a big, um, big problem for us within animation, but obviously that then goes hand in hand with treating this like a global export that we need to understand that if British animation is going to compete and we're not going to get all this talent from the EU and we're not going to collaborate as internationally as we did, hopefully that's not the case. But if that is the case, then we need to understand that we are outputting work into a global market and we need to, to cash in on you know the diversity think, of the UK. I think if, if anything, uh, if any positive can hopefully come out of this, this the pandemic we're in, is the government is realizes how much of a, an emergency there now is with helping young people into industry. So they're putting even more focus on apprenticeships. So I hope there'll be more government support in trying to get more apprenticeships into creative industries. Uh, for example, in the 80s, when they made Who Framed Roger Rabbit, that there were, there were not many 2D animators in the UK and they suddenly had to make whole production. So a huge amount of the crew on that were apprentice animators who have, and all those animators have gone on to have absolutely amazing careers. And it's, it demonstrates that it, it, it does work. It just takes, it just takes a little bit of uh, a hard work to actually make it happen. And I think now, I think there may be that, that, um, that pivotal moment where that's going to, force it to happen rather than it happen just through you know people trying to make it happen kind of thing yeah when i when i said schools as well i, I would say that um it is the responsibility of government obviously teachers they saw the benefits of of, of us teaching animation in schools when we did the the schools program for math um, and they were like, wow, the, the students are so engaged. They're so engaged with the prospect of working together and creating animated content or, or understanding animation production. When something creative happens in school, children engage, uh, pupils engage, and teachers know that. So it's the government's responsibility to understand the value of that and to make sure that our schools are teaching the creative industries or teaching creativity uh, as part of the, the framework of, of education. Yeah, I just want to echo what Steve's saying. It's definitely the government. They really need to support us um, to help with the loss of the media funding and also with training programmes. We need them to step up. Um, in regarding to training programmes and such, you know, we've I worked for a long time as an assistant animator at Ardman, and that implies a lot of sculpting of plasticine. And one of the things that we, we found was that graduates, you know, they would come in for work experience and there were not a lot of people that could handle plasticine well, even if they were good animators. So there was a lack in their knowledge. There was a lack of, and, and there was nothing we kind of could do about it. We could try and train them a little bit, of course, but if they didn't do it on their own accord, there was something that was not being taught anywhere if they if they and it was it was odd for me of course because I've always done it one way or the other I was a model maker or this or this I, it just couldn't fit in my head that there was such a situation happening and it was it was recurrent there were some people that were naturally gifted and then people that really needed to work on it and then it you know it just got to a point that with some people it, it was almost 
impossible to teach. So it's very specific skills that are needed for my job sometimes. And these skills need to be learned. But they come from, I don't know, they come from school. You know, if you don't play with plasticine in school, if you don't have the, the, the physical acuity of working with, with materials, then you're never going to find out if you're going to be able to do it. You know, some people just have the natural gift for it. Like some people are, you know, naturally amazing animators and some people have to work really hard at having a good, you know, it just, yeah. I just feel like it can't be all taught, but it has to be a little bit more incentivated when they are kids and they're young and they can be molded by us. Yeah, that kind of, um, it's funny because it reminded me of um, when they were making The Illusionist and there was that famous thing when Sylvia and Chomé was getting very angry and he was saying like, English people don't know how to animate or British people can't animate. Um, he wanted everyone to come from France and because French people understand this. And I think there's always been this kind of, um, it always feels like UK uh, universities, when they teach animation, they're kind of always trying to work out how to get the balance right. And I don't, you know, I don't have much experience hiring graduates or working with too many, but it is this thing now I feel like um, whether or not a university should create filmmakers or create workers. And um, I just, you know, obviously that comes in for what you were saying, Rita, whereas... Mm. I, I some, yeah, sorry. Sometimes I just feel like the skills are not being investigated. You know, oh, you want to work in this area. So what do you want to do? Do you want to do cinematography for, for stop motion? Do you want to do mm -hmm. directing for stop motion? Do you want, because the skills are so different and just yeah. throwing, throwing them into trying to do something. And okay, they can go and, 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 and do a bit of running in a company and see what they like, but then what they like might be something that they might have needed to learn the skills beforehand already. It's a very complicated situation. I don't know how to go about it <laughs> any better than I'm talking, you know. it's. Uh, well, it sounds like, you know, well, this seems to be the running theme throughout this discussion is the fact that it sounds like, what's needed is government support, financial support to get people into the workplace so they can understand the practical aspect yeah. of animation and actually working as part of the workforce and whether or not they're suited for it before they, you know, exactly. the employer spends a lot of money employing them for a year and a half or for something like that. Um, but I'm gonna wrap it up now. So um, just the last quick question. Is in your opinion, what would be the best case scenario for Brexit? I know that's quite a weird question to ask considering what happened on Friday, but we'll give it a go. We had the best case scenario, didn't we? Before, before we voted. Before. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that, is it? No, sorry. Um, yeah. I'm not sorry. Yeah. Uh, time machine is the best case scenario. It, it is, yeah. We should yes. put all our efforts into creating a time machine. We're all clever people. We can we can work on it. We can make it happen. Um, it it is. I think the best case scenario going forward is is continued uh, advocacy from everybody. From the you know that the animation industry is this kind of this wonderful thing that does you know it does need support. It does need help. But when it is helped, when it is supported. Uh, it's it pays back, you know, uh, manyfold, um, as as was proved by the animation tax credits, as, as Tom said earlier on. Um, and we need to, we need, we really need to 
keep at that. We don't need to take a defeated attitude towards this um, towards this situation that we've landed in. At the end of the day, we're, we're, we're a creative industry, we're creatives, and what creatives ex excel at is solving problems. We're never going to get a bigger problem than this. So uh, it, it, it's going to take a, a positive attitude to, 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 to battle this very negative impact. Um, and I think the, the best case scenario will be any best case scenario will come from from that attitude. Um, yeah, it needs to come socially. It's socially. I think we need to to show Europe and the wider world that we care, that our creative community cares about this. But we must also defend the arts um, because, in spite of the creative industries being worth billions of pounds to the UK economy, I don't think we've been presented recently with much evidence that that there's much care for that from the government. Um, and sorry, that's my that's me on my soapbox. I'll get down. Let somebody else jump on. I was I was going to say that I think that the very best outcome we can hope for is that um, the pessimistic outlooks on the economy uh, will be will be will be wrong, <laughs> and Jacob Rees-Mogg's sunlit uplands might turn out to be true. However, <laughs> however uh, far off that might be, but then if there are uh financial benefits to being working in a more isolated way however that might the the economic economics of that might work um but if that is the case then the uk could really utilize that that money to in in the sense of getting that circle of investing in the arts investing in our own um kind of t uh, creative programs like france does and embrace what the, embrace the amount of um, uh, culture and creativity there is in this country uh, in a way that they've never done before. And that's, I think, the best we can hope for. I would personally like it to, to, you know, to actually a deal existing, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'd agree with you, Steve, that like, I mean, I, I think, the, yeah, no Brexit at all uh, is uh, the sort of ideal situation. I feel so much has been lost. I mean, from a personal point of view, um, and it's kind of picking on what up on what you were saying, Rita, about, you know, those from stop motion point of view, those three films shooting at the same time meant a huge influx of people, uh, you know, training talent, people learning in the UK, stuff kind of happening on those features. But at the same time, like, you know, as a stop motion animator or as a, as a stop motion director like me, you know, it is quite nomadic and you do, it's a small industry and it's kind of spread out around the world. And so you do move a lot for projects. Um, and if there is a real kind of, yeah, uh, shutdown or difficulty issues around freedom of movement and being able to sort of, you know, mount projects elsewhere or bring in talent from elsewhere, that's, um, yeah, that would be the thing I think that I would I would hope for is that there is still an ease to that, and there's still a generosity, and a sort of coming together of of companies, you know, on the continent and in the UK, and even if it's sort of you know, it's sort of a creative backdoor underneath the radar kind of thing where we can make things happen and kind of try and ignore the meta narratives of what's going on and kind of government level, and still try and make uh, yeah make collaborations happen. Um, you know, it's like Rebecca was saying as well, I think it kind of makes these projects so much stronger. And for me, I always, I mean, yeah, I try and have like as many nationalities as possible working with me, uh, you know, alongside UK talent, because it just, 
yeah, it makes things more interesting, it makes things stronger, it makes the team more dynamic. Um, so I hope, yeah, I hope that kind of exchange, that sort of collaboration can still happen in the future. If not, I'll try and get citizenship elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, get me in that time machine, please. <laughs> My granddad's Hungarian, so I've been trying to get on, trying to get that passport, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. I have to be able to speak some of the language first. But um, yeah, uh, I guess I agree with what Tom's saying. I really hope the government sees how much um, how much the creative industries do matter in the UK and invest in it. But I really will just believe it when I see it because so far they haven't done enough at all. So, but maybe it will open up more avenues in Asia. That will be something that will be really interesting and we'll just have to see and try and remain positive. Try. Yeah. I think that was quite an interesting point as well you're making about moving somewhere else because I guess that that's also the risk is losing a lot of talent to because people want to move elsewhere where they can do the things that they usually do here and but hopefully that won't be the case hopefully uh Jacob Rees-Mogg is more trustworthy than he looks uh but thank you all for for being part of this panel um I think people find that really really interesting really useful because I think a lot of people are very confused about what's happening next Hi folks, Ben Mitchell from Squiggly here with a couple of additional bits. Firstly, thank you again to the Visible and Visuals team for sharing another fascinating panel with us here at Squiggly. It's worth mentioning that if you check out the podcast listing on squiggly.com, Rita has collected some links for further reading that are all worth a look. You can find that as well as previous Visible and Visuals episodes in the podcast section of the site. Also, the next Visible and Visuals panel, in which creators from diverse backgrounds working across different roles in animation will discuss routes into different careers in animation and offer advice for those looking to get into the industry, will be taking place this week as part of the Cardiff Animation Festival. So if you want to watch or ask questions of your own, that will be 6pm Thursday, October 29th. You can get in touch with them beforehand at visible underscore visuals on Twitter and Instagram or email visibleinvisuals at gmail.com. It's a pay-what-you-can event. The suggested price is £5, which is more than reasonable, and you know it'll be going to a good place. You can find that as well as the full festival schedule at cardiffanimation.com. We'll be back with more from Visible and Visuals soon. Until then, bye for now.